you open up your Bible there with me. Um, there's two things that I just feel the need to uh, bring to your attention before um, we begin. But in 2 Timothy, um, God is reminding me through worship just of His Word. You know, we were singing that song that we all have answers, and answers only God can provide. And um, the truth is, is the answers that God provides for us are found in His Word. And I love God's Word, and um, I believe what the Bible says about God's Word in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, where it tells us that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction in righteousness, or for, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. And um, whatever you need this morning, God has for you. And, and I believe that as we study through God's Word this morning, that through His Holy Spirit, that God will speak to you where you're at. And um, He will reach into your life, and He'll, he'll meet you and, and show you many things. Number one, that He loves you, and, and that He cares about you, that He's for you, that He has a plan for your life. Um, but also, as we read in there, that the Word of God is, is more than uh, uh, just a means of encouragement. It is a way by which God corrects us, rebukes us, instructs us in the right way to go. And, and in this morning, perhaps you're in a spot where you need a rebuke. Sometimes we're there. Uh, a correction, and, and, and meaning that God has, it, we're going a wrong, wrong way, and God rebukes us, then He corrects us and shows us the right way to go instructs us in the right way. And so this morning, I believe that God's Word alone has the power to do that through the leading of His Holy Spirit, not my words. And so as we begin, um, let's pray and um, let God speak to us through His Word. Father, we thank You for this time this morning. We thank You for Noah coming down and leading us in worship. <clears throat> I pray, Lord, that You would bless him. Or you shared with me this morning that he's planning on going to Florida to the, to the um, school of worship there. And so we pray for his future, Lord, that you would lead him and guide him. We know you have wonderful things for him in the future, that you have gifted him uh, to be able to play the guitar and to sing and to lead people. And we thank you, God, for being a part, our recipient of that uh, blessing that you've given to him. And Lord, as we study your word now, we pray, God, that it would do what you set it out to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, we're going to, this chapter is, we're going to make it through uh, the first probably 24 verses this morning, Genesis chapter 30. And um, it's an interesting chapter, but as, as, as we get to the end of it, what you're going to see is that the underlying kind of thought that we can come away with is, is probably um, wrapped up in one word, the word contentment. And um, if I was to ask for a show of hands, I don't think that any one of us would really raise our hand and, and could answer this question and just go, yeah, I'm completely content. I'm content with everything in my life, just the way that it is. And um, if you are, I'd like to talk to you and figure out what you're doing. Um, but there's a, there's a passage of Scripture, and, and I'm just going to quote it, and we'll read and we're going to talk about it more at the end. But it, it says, contentment with godliness is great gain. And when, we're, when we lack contentment, what it does is it opens the door into our hearts and in our minds for things that aren't good. 
And, and, and as we study, as you look at that verse, lots of us, we've, we've heard that verse before, contentment with godliness is great gain. And we usually focus on the contentment part of that scripture, of that passage. But it's, it's almost conditional if you think about, I want great gain, right? I want, to be, I wanna, I want everything that God has for me, and I want to I prosper both emotionally and, and, and spiritually and even physically in a way that God wants me to and, and receive that great gain. But it tells us in there again, contentment with godliness is great gain. And so when you think about that, what that, what that automatically implies is that there's a there's a, there's a contentment without godliness, right? And contentment without godliness would then equal not a great gain, probably a great loss. And, and I, I point that out because um, I think it is possible to be content or to classify something as being content and, and not be in the place where godliness is being exercised in our lives. And, and what I mean by that is, is lots of times we're working not, we're not seeking to be content, we're seeking to be comfortable. And, and, and God's not so much concerned about our comfort as he is about us being content. And, and we work really hard, I think, in our lives to try to get to the place where we're comfortable. But yet, in, in, com- in, in comfort, when, there's, when, we're, when we are spiritually just comfortable or where um, we're uh, even in a place of, of, of physical comfort rather than contentment, then we're, we're, we're often in a place where we're not doing or, or being, uh, doing what God would call us to do or, or being the, 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 the person that God's called us to be. And, and, and because lots of times, more times than not, God takes us out of our comfort zones, Right? in order to grow us, in order to do a work in us and through us, uh, in order to change us and to, to mold us more into his image. And the Bible talks about that process and that process being an uncomfortable one. But yet, even in the midst of an uncomfortable situation, we can still have contentment and exercise godliness. And, and, and what I, when I think about that word, the, the, the most simple way to, to describe that word to you is is just doing God's things in, in his ways and doing things God's way and, and not our way. Contentment doing things God's way brings forth a great gain. And so with that in thought, in, 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 your, in your thinking this morning as we look at that, um, keep all of that in your mind as we read about Rachel and Leah and who two ladies, two, two wives of Jacob that really give us a perfect example of what contentment is not and why we should seek to be content with godliness and receive what God has for us. Now, in this next chapter as we begin, we really have the continued record of the children who were born to Jacob's wives and their handmaidens. And in the last four verses of chapter 29 that we read through last week and studied, this record begins by telling of the children that were first born to Leah. Leah, um, Leah is uh, uh, Jacob's first wife, Leah. And, and according to verse 31, we know that Leah, the, the first wife of, of Jacob, that she was unloved by him, is what, is what we see. And even though Jacob was kind, it doesn't mean that, she was, that he hated her or was mean to her. Certainly, we're going to see that he was uh, neglectful in, in a lot of ways. And... Um, I think having two wives would kind of bring forth that 
problem anyway. But we know that Jacob, um, or excuse me, that Leah was unloved because um, Jacob was in love with her sister, Rachel. Remember, Jacob had made an agreement to work seven years for Rachel. And yet on the day that he was to receive her as his wife, um, her father, Laban, deceived him and gave Leah rather than the woman that he loved, the woman that he had worked for. Nevertheless, Jacob, even after being tricked, he wanted Rachel, and so he agreed to work for another seven years for her. And during these seven years that he's working for this other woman to be his wife, the one who he really wanted, he's married to to Leah. And even though we see that he was willing to fulfill his duties to her as a husband, it's clear that his heart was given to Rachel. And you can only imagine what, how Leah felt, how that, would, how that would have made Leah feel. And so God, God's response to this was to show Leah favor by opening her womb to conceive, and in doing so, she gave birth to, initially, four of Jacob's sons, the, the first four of Jacob's sons. And in the end of chapter 29, we see that Reuben was the first, Simeon was the second, Levi was the third, and Judah was the fourth. Then, in verse 35, we're told, this is significant to the, to the continuation of the story that we read about today, we're told that, that um, she stopped bearing children. And it's likely that all four of these boys were born within that first seven years of their marriage, before Rachel was given um, to Jacob as a wife. Now, it's important also to point out that the Hebrew people saw parenthood as a stewardship before God, first and foremost. That, that was how they saw it. As a, as, a, as a mother and as a father, they saw themselves as stewards of, of God's possessions, meaning they saw their children not only as a blessing from God, but as something of God um, that they had been entrusted with. And this was especially true when we look at the bigger picture in, 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 in the case of Jacob, because his descendants were the inheritors of the covenantal promises. Remember, the promises that had been handed down to him through Abraham and through his father Isaac, and that were going to be passed along to his kids. And, and in fulfilling the promise to make Abraham's descendants a mighty people, who according to Genesis chapter 27, verse 17, a mighty people who would multiply, it says, as the stars of the heaven and as the sands which is upon the seashore, we see that God would honor Jacob as a steward by entrusting him to be the father of 12 sons, who we know would become the 12 tribes of Israel. But as we read on, we see, as you can imagine, that um, four different women were involved in building Jacob's family, and this, this fact alone um, the fact that he had four women to build a family of 12 children, 12 sons anyway. They know that we know there were some daughters involved in this as well. But this would create one problem after another. One problem after another problem for Jacob and his family. And so, as we see this, we see that the man who had grown up in a divided home, and even in a competitive home, he himself would create a divided and a competitive family. And so we read in verse 1 of chapter 30, it says, Now when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob 
no children, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, give me children or else I die. And Jacob's anger was aroused against Rachel and he said, am I in the place of God who has, withhold, who has withheld from you the fruit of your womb? So she said, here is my maid Bilhah. Go into her and she will bear a child on my knees that I also may have children by her. Then she gave him Bilhah, her maid, as a wife, and Jacob went into her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. And then Rachel, verse 6, said, God has judged my case, and he has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she called his name Dan. And Rachel's maid, Bilhah, conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with great wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister, and indeed I have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. As we read this, and and we're going to read additional things like this, but we see these two ladies' responses and the words that they speak after they have been given a child or a child is born to them or through one of their handmaidens. And, and the things that they say are very telling. It, it kind of explains to us a little bit of not only what's going on, the, the, but also what's going on in their hearts. And I want to point out that what we read here about Rachel giving her handmaid to Jacob, don't be mistaken, this was not a good thing or a godly thing. It was permitted, but it wasn't a good way or a godly way of doing things. In fact, we read in verse 1, the, the envy, right, was the motive behind this. That, that it wasn't a God-ordained thing or a God-commanded thing. It was rather something that was born from Rachel's envy. In that Rachel, we're told, envied her sister for having children when she had none of her own. Sadly, this envy first caused Rachel to cry out to Jacob to give her children, and she was actually blaming him for something over which he had no control. And Jacob's response in verse 2 reveals that he was not withholding her, himself from her, and, 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 and he was rightly declaring that, that it was in God's hands, right? But even though this was the truth, and guys, we need, to, we need to pay attention to this because sometimes we're willing to speak the truth, but we're not speaking the truth in a loving way, or we're not doing it in a way in which we're leading our families uh, or, 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 or our wives to the place that they, that they need to be as God leads through this. But even though as it, it was the truth that it was in God's hands, it appears as we see that, that Rachel in this never cried out to God. She simply came to her husband and, and cried out to him. And, and, um, and not only did she not cry out to, to God for, for the thing that she needed or, or the thing that she wanted, we see that Jacob did not give Rachel what she needed for um, this moment. And, and in this moment, what, what she, she didn't need a husband to, to snap at her or to rebuke her. Um, she needed a husband that was kind, a husband that was understanding, Someone who would encourage her. And um, furthermore, he needed to lead his wife in a way that would help her take her feelings to God. And then wait with her 
on, his, on, on God's answered prayer. And we see none of that taking place as Jacob was quite willing to, to, to help things along with, with Bilhah. But Rachel, we see that she was left to her feelings, these feelings of envy. And the result of this envy was anger and, and bitterness, and, 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 and it created this disagreement between her and, and her husband, Jacob. And, and in addition to that, we see that it really fueled this rivalry, rivalry between uh, uh, Rachel and Leah. And so it was Rachel's envy that motivated her to do what God had already said was wrong by giving her handmaid or her maid, Bilhah, to conceive this child for her, to give her a son. And remember, this is, what, this, is, this is something that had already taken place previously in, in regards to Abraham and his wife, Sarah. And they had done this with a handmaid that Sarah had come out of Egypt with. Um, and, and, and this was at a time when, when, when Sarah could not conceive. And they had been promised a son. But as a result, Ishmael was born. And in that situation, it was Abraham's and Sarah's lack of patient faith which motivated them to take things into their own hands. And even though Hagar conceived, we know, and gave birth to Ishmael, God did not accept Ishmael. And Ishmael lived as a testimony to the wrongdoing that they had done. God did not accept Ishmael as the rightful heir And eventually Ishmael and his mother, Hagar, they were cast out into the wilderness. So even with this bad family example, right? Who here has had bad family examples that you've repeated? (laughs) You know, that's that's what's going on here. It's this bad family example that, that, that was repeated. We see that Jacob was willing to take Bilhah, and in doing so, she conceived a fifth son. A son for Jacob who Rachel named Dan. However, it's clear from verse 6, if you look there with me, that Rachel um, didn't believe that, that she or Jacob really had done anything wrong by this. And she, she even justified it by declaring that, um, by declaring that because uh, Bilhah had conceived and had given birth, she declared somehow that God must have heard her and had given her this son. And even though this is a classic um, excuse of the end, right? The end justifies the means. The fact of the matter is, is that Dan wasn't her son. Dan wasn't born through her. And nowhere in the Bible are we ever told in the Old Testament writings that follow or in the New Testament that speaks to these kinds of things that took place. Never once do we see that Rachel's actions were ever condoned by God. Nowhere does God ever say that was a good thing. In fact, when we consider Rachel's motive of envy in light of what we read in Romans chapter 1, where Paul lists envy alongside unrighteousness, and then also in Galatians chapter 5, where envy is categorized as one of the works of the flesh, we see the clear error of what Jacob and Rachel had done, and the error of the conclusion that she had made, that God was somehow in it, or that he had allowed for it, or not that he had allowed for it, but that, God, that it was a good thing. Now, as we look at envy and see maybe perhaps our times when we are also envious in the things that this has brought into our own lives, envy is simply lusting after what someone else has. Envy is lusting after what someone else has. And, 
And, and through Jacob and Rebekah's example, we see how envy was the cause for them to not only abandon God's will for their lives, but also envy was the reason for justifying the bad behavior. And even though Rachel had initially justified what she had done, we see that after doing it for a second time, by giving Bilhah to Jacob again, and then giving birth to a second son, a son named Naphtali, Rachel, she realized something. In the, in the words that she speak, it reveals, us, reveals to us. She, she, she realized that she ended up getting more than she had bargained for. And isn't that the case? And in verse 8, we read that the real fruit of her envy produced what is there. It says, it says, tells us that it produced this great wrestling or strife, literally strife or contention, not only with her sister, but in the home. Things didn't get better. They got worse. And the sad thing about Rachel declaring that she had prevailed by doing these things is that Rachel had assumed, we see that somehow she had, had assumed, she believed that if she had a son like her sister, then it would all be okay, that she would feel differently. However, things didn't get better. They only got worse. And this is how it is, is when, when, whenever we're envious towards others who have more than we have, or they have, when we're envious towards something that, that they do have, that we want. Sadly, when we give way to envy in our own lives, you know what will happen is, is we'll compromise. We compromise God's will in order to get what we want, as we wrongly believe that we will be content once we get that. But again, that's not contentment with godliness, and there is no gain. Because when we, when, we, when we get what we're envying, it does not satisfy us like we thought that it would. We need more or we want something else because it's not what God's provided. And only the things that God provides for us can truly satisfy what's inside of us. And this, and this brings disappointment, brings regret, and ultimately it brings contention just like there was contention between Rachel and Leah, these two sisters, the wives of Jacob. And so we read on about this a little further in verse 9, and it says that when Leah now saw that she had stopped bearing, she took Zilpha, her maid, and gave her to Jacob as, as, as a wife. And Leah's maid, Zilpha, bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, a troop comes, and so she called his name Gad. And Leah's maid, Zilpha, bore Jacob a second son. Then Leah said, I am happy, for the daughters will call me blessed. So she called his name Asher. Now, I don't know about you, but as I read through this story, and I know the big picture with the 12 tribes of Israel coming from Jacob's sons here, I find it odd that the 12 sons of Jacob were born out of this competition between these two sisters. And even though Rachel and Leah were responsible for their own actions, I think the way they acted... And um, the willingness of Jacob to be a part of it, it says a lot about the character of Jacob that was still obviously in need of some of God's refining. But it also says a lot on the other side about, of, of this situation as we look at it. It says a lot about the amazing grace of God, doesn't it? When we see what God did with this mess, it says a lot about the amazing grace of God and really about God's limitless power. God who was and who is willing even today to use us in spite of our messed up ways. 
in order to bring forth his will and his plans to bless us and to bless others around us. And it's hopeful when we see these kinds of things. I'm filled with hope because sometimes we feel like we've messed things up so bad that, that not only are we not any good, we think that, God, what can you do with this wreck that I've made, this mess that I've made? And in God's grace and in God's power, he turns things that are broken, he, he makes them new again. And and, and, it's, and it's, it's, it's cool to see God do this, and it's encouraging for me in my own life because there's still times when things just get messed up because of the things that I say or the things that I do, how I act in, in, in times of even when I'm not content. And, and, and with this in mind, we see that, that Leah, who had stopped bearing sons, saw, that, uh, saw what her sister had done and the apparent success that that she was that she was having with this plan that that she had put into place, and so Leah compromised. She compromised and she gave her handmaid Zilpha to Jacob, and in doing so, Jacob gave birth to um, or or Zilpha gave birth to Jacob's seventh and eight sons, Gad and Asher. And it's 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 you you can you can see the little dig there perhaps with just the naming of Gad as we know that there's this wrestling going on this contention you know this is this is uh, way this is six more or five more children than um, Rebecca has at this point and she's all oh a troop comes Gad see how many I have given to Jacob and the thing to note that we need to note or take note of in light of all of this, is the proclamation that Leah made in verse 13. You see what she says there? She says, now I'm happy because of the daughters, or literally because others who were around her, the other women, the other ladies, right? She was now happy because now all the other ladies would look at her and call her blessed as a result of this. And this is so sad to me. This is so sad to me because it's as if Leah, who was the unwanted, right, of the two sisters um, and had struggled with being accepted by her husband was now basing her perceived worth on what others thought of her. She was basing her worth, her self-worth, on what others thought of her. But in doing so, she did things that were not in accordance to God's will. And she allowed for others, listen, she allowed for others to define and shape what kind of person that she was. And even though this is not a good thing, I think it's something that we can all relate to. We get it. We understand. Considering we've all been in the place where we have allowed what others think of us to determine not only what we do, but how we feel about ourselves. But the fact of the matter is, is when we live in a way where we're trying to please others, the things that we do are often compromises that are not pleasing to God. And the point is, is we should... I know this is difficult, but we should only allow for what, for what God thinks about us to determine how we live and how we feel about ourselves. And the only way to do this is to remember some key things. If you struggle with that, you need to remember these things. We need to remember that God's the one who created us. And as his created thing, we're valuable to him. God sees value in us. Furthermore, having created us, we need to continue with that thought 
And, and we have to know that, that God knows us as his created thing. God knows us better than anyone else does. And yet, he loves us for simply who we are. So much so, the Bible tells us that he entered into his creation to be with us, to pay for our sin, to save us from the debt of death that we owe. In addition to this, we need to remember that God who created us did so with a good purpose. Do you understand that? That God created you with a good purpose and with a good plan for our lives. And the way that we receive these good things, God's good purposes and God's good plans for our lives, is by doing what is pleasing to Him. Literally by doing His will, which gives our lives purpose and keeps us in the place where we're walking in accordance to God's good works. The works that He has appointed in His plan for our lives. And the bottom line is, is when we care more about what others think of us and do things in an attempt to please them so that they think highly of us, then, then we are or then we will be defined by them. But if we live our lives caring about what God thinks of us and doing things that are pleasing to him, then it's God who created us who is defining us and shaping us into the person that he's created us to be. And sadly, we don't see that right now with Leah. She's being shaped, she's being defined by how she wants these other ladies to perceive her. And her happiness is based in that. And in verse 14, we read on, and it says, Now one of Leah's sons, Reuben, went in the days of the wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, it is a small matter that you have taken away my husband. Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, therefore he will lie with you tonight for your, for your, son's, for your son's mandrakes. And when Jacob came out, came out of the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come into me, for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. And he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. And Leah said, God has given me my wages because I have given my maid to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. Then Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. And Jacob said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will dwell with me because I have bore him six sons. And so she called his name Zebulun. And afterwards she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah or Diana. Then God remembered Rachel, verse 22, and God listened to her. And opened her womb, and she conceived and bore a son, and said, God has taken away my reproach. So she called his name Joseph and said, The Lord shall add to me another son. Now, in my research, I found out that a, a, a mandrake, it's about the size of an apple, and it's actually got a little nickname called the love apple. And it has a potato-type consistency to it. But more importantly, at this time, mandrakes were believed to be an aphrodisiac. 
So we can see the, the, the motive behind uh, the exchange here. And, and, and not only an aphrodisiac, but it, it was believed that it could enhance a woman's fertility. And so we see that Rachel was looking for, for every option possible. And we can see the great desire that she had to have a child of her own. And this is why Rachel, who still had no children, was willing to exchange her time for Jacob to Leah for these mandrakes in order to try to conceive. But before she would, before she would conceive, we read that she eventually, eventually would, but before that happened, we read that Leah, who was obviously not satisfied or content with the two additional children that had been born to her through her handmaiden, um, that she had been praying to God. We see that she had called out to God, asking to conceive and, 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 and in doing so, um, God, God heard her. In fact, in verse 17, we're told that God heard Leah, and in doing so, she bore a fifth son, whom she named Issachar, and then she gave birth to a sixth son, who she named Zebulun. And once again, we're made aware of the fact that after this time, after all of this time, and after all of these children, with all of this contention, and, and, and all of these problems that were in Jacob's home, and in Jacob's marriage, uh, finally someone prays to God. And Leah concluded in verse 20 that because she had provided so many sons that now her husband would dwell with her. And by this we see that still in some way she felt like Jacob had loved her less than he had loved Rachel. And it's probably true. There was still this favoritism that was taking place. And in these verses... One of the things to point out that's there is in addition to the sons that, that, that were born to Leah, we're also told about a daughter, a daughter by the name of Dinah or Diana. And, and it's unusual if you've studied through the Bible and you read these genealogical accounts or, or the, this, the, these stories that tell us about who was born to who, it's unusual for a woman to be mentioned in a, a, a biblical genealogy. But whenever there is, like in this instance, it's, it's because there's always something of historical importance surrounding them that needs to be noted. And, and when we look ahead to Genesis chapter 34, we're going to read about that important event, that important event which involves Diana or Dinah. And I'm not going to talk about this today, but if you're interested, you can either read ahead or you can be back here in four weeks, maybe three as we study through chapter 34. But for now, I want to point out something here in, this, in these last verses that we're going to study through this morning. I want to point out that, that even after Rachel um, had traded her time for the mandrakes, we see that these didn't help her. She was still unable to conceive. Not, not that there was really any kind of um, uh, medical uh, potency in the, that, that mandrake fruit to, to help out with fertility. But anyway, I find it interesting that she was still unable to conceive <laughs> because the very thing that Rachel was hoping for, the very thing that she had hoped that would happen to her by getting the mandrakes is, is what happened to Leah without the mandrakes. And the only thing I can see different at this time is that in verse 17, we're told that it appears that Leah had turned to God, that her womb had been shut up. And even after going using Zilpha and giving Zilpha as, as, as a wife to Jacob, um, <clears throat> we see that God 
heard her. He answered her request for another child. On the other hand, when we, when we look at Rachel and we see this, <clears throat> Rachel had, 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 had not come to the place where she was putting her trust in God. And she was still continuing to trust in herself by scheming, by making a plan on her own to get the mandrakes instead of going to God and waiting upon Him. And the fact of the matter is, I don't know about you, but I can relate to Rachel. I get it. Because in my own life, and possibly yours too, there have been times when I've not trusted in God. Times when I've not waited upon Him. Times when I've, I had to have things a certain way so bad, or I had to have a certain thing. I thought that I really needed that, that I went ahead and took things into my own hands and, and, and made it happen. Impatience. Times when I've done things without seeking God. Operated in a way that seemed right to me. And, and in doing so, even though I received or made the thing happen, I ended up getting the opposite of what I really wanted. I was still not content with the thing or the situation that had brought that had been brought to pass. In light of this, years ago, when I had gone through a situation like that, and I'm not going to tell you exactly what it was, but God brought me to Proverbs chapter 3. And, and since then, this has become one of my, my favorite passages of Scripture, and, 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 and God's brought it to my remembrance over and over and over again because I'm a knucklehead, and, and, and I, I struggle with, with contentment, and I struggle with waiting on the Lord to provide in a way that He seems right for me, He sees fit to do so, in a way that He sees that's right for me. And... Um, just so, you're, just so you know, I, I, I can relate to Rachel too because my contentment, my problems with contentment are, 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 are because I do a lot of looking around and seeing what others has or what God's doing with other people and go, God, that's not fair. You know, and, and, and in my home, my, my kids, whenever they complain about something and they say it's not fair, I always say, well, life's not fair, right? And I say, and I always tell them, and the fair only comes once a year and it's not right now. But, you know, God, God kind of talks to me like that, too, and, 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 and tells me, to, you know, to quit your whining. I've got a perfect plan for you. And he, in that, he, he comforts me again with the same passage of Scripture, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 8, which says this. And this is God just speaking to me in my heart, in my mind, and I have heard it over and over again in situations where I just lay it down and go, okay, God, I will. Because he says in verse 5, he says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And the point is, is is that's the root of the problem, is that I'm not trusting in God in those moments and in that situation. I don't believe that he's got a perfect timing, which is best, or a perfect thing uh, waiting for me, something better than what I could provide for myself or try to bring to pass in my own strength. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, all, with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. And, and that's, that's what we're doing when we're not trusting the Lord and trying to make something happen or trying to provide something for us. We're, in our own understanding, we're, we're not only going, this is good for me, but in our own understanding, we're going, how can I get what I want? And, and, and God says, don't do that. Don't lean on your own understanding. But in all of your ways, acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your path. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart for evil, for it will be health to your flesh and a strength to your bones. 
In short, God's saying, I have something better for you. I have it in the right time. And so God calls us to trust in him, to rely upon him, to cling to him in those moments. And, 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 and through this process, that's what we see God is doing, not only in the hearts of Leah, but in the hearts of Jacob, and in the hearts of Rachel, in the heart of Rachel as, as well. And I just got to point this out because I love the fact that in spite of Rachel's envy, in spite of Rachel trying to do things her own way, I love the fact that God showed her grace. And in verse 22, we're told that God remembered Rachel. That God remembered Rachel. And in doing so, she conceived and gave birth to a son who she named Joseph, the eleventh son of Jacob. But even though Rachel gave praise, remember I said the words that these ladies speak are significant, and we see that she gave praise saying that God had taken away her reproach, which was, which was, which was misdirected any, anyway. God wasn't reproaching her, and, and, and Jacob hadn't reproached her. And, and, and so again, that was something that was, that was connected to the, the, the conflict between her and, and her sister. And I know that she felt that way, but she makes this statement saying that God had taken away her, her reproach. And even though she gave thanks and praise in this statement, what we see is we see that, that discontentment was still in Rachel's heart. And it's, it's sad. Discontentment was still in Rachel's heart, and we see this by the words that she spoke in verse 24, saying this, The Lord shall add to me another son. I, I mean, I, I, don't know, I almost picture it. It's like, you know, the, 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 the handmaids are there, and, and the, 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 the um, ladies that are helping her deliver her first son, and, you know, she's pregnant for, for these, these nine months, and it's this time of anticipation, and the time comes, and she delivers, and they hand the baby and the swaddling clothes to her in her arms, and it's Joseph, and, and she gives him this name, by the way, which, which means literally the Lord shall add to me. And then she makes this statement with this baby in her hand, the Lord shall add to me another son. And see, in and, 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 and even though Rachel had finally given birth and she had got the very thing that she had been longing for, because she had uncontentment or discontentment in her heart, she couldn't be satisfied with even what God had provided. She could look forward to as having another son, even though she'd even declared that her reproach had been taken away. There was no godliness in this moment. And the sad thing about it is, is, is that I see about it is, is she, couldn't in, she, could, she couldn't enjoy what she had been given. And that's the bummer about discontentment, is it not? It's a constant longing for something more. And we, 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 we ignore or miss out on the blessing that God has already provided. You know, God, I need a new car. What's the matter with one I've given you? That kind of a thing. God's provided. Enjoy the ones that he's given you. You know, enjoy the children that, that you know, I, as, as a father, it's, I'm in this situation in my life right now where I have two kids that are moved out and two kids that are, that are at, at home still. And, and there's times where I'm like, oh, I miss my boys so much. I wish they weren't all old and growing up and, and, and out on their own. That's not happened very often, but it happens. More so for my wife. 
But there's times then where my daughters are like getting on my nerves, not very often because they're great girls, but, and I'm just like, I can't wait for you to move out like your, like your brothers and get on your own. And, 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 and what, in both situations, you know, there's this, there's this lack of discontentment speaking because of the situation, not because of my kids, just because of the, of the situation. And, but in those moments, I'm, I'm missing out, right? I'm missing out. And guys, God has good things for us, right? He's a creator. He's got a good purpose for us and a good plan. And in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, it says this. It says, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. Now, if you want to come back up, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up with this. Guys, we need to be consciously aware of our human state. And sometimes we're, we're painfully aware of it, are we not? But other times it's, it's, it, it escapes us. We, we can be in the state where we don't even realize that um, we are operating in a, in a place of uncontentment. But we need to be consciously aware of our human nature, which is never satisfied with what we have. That's the human nature. That's the old man. That's the flesh. And if we're not content with what God has given us, what we see in these, from these, these, these two ladies' examples is if we're, if, we're, if we're not content with what God has given us, first of all, there's going to be no praise. There's no praise of God. There's no thanksgiving. There's no rejoicing in our lives for the things that God has given us because we're longing we're lusting for something more, for something else. Consequently, we miss out on enjoying what we've been given and even become ungrateful for what we have. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, it says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. And then he puts it into perspective by saying this. He says, For we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain that we will carry nothing out. And so having food and clothing with these things, we shall be content. This account of Jacob's 11 sons being born here, starting at the end of chapter 29 and going through verse 24 of chapter 30, if you study this out, it covers a period of 14 years. A lot's been condensed here for us. 14 years in Jacob's life. And I think it's safe to say that these years were hard years. Years of trouble, years of trial, years of testing. But what we know is, is that God is using these difficult situations. He's using even, even these, these self-inflicted trials that Jacob and his family are going through as a time of refining, as a time of testing. And we know as we read on that Jacob's going to be dealing with his father-in-law Laban. If you've read ahead, it gets pretty interesting. But through this, God's disciplining Jacob. And he's preparing him for what lays ahead. And guys, that's what God's doing with us this morning. And even these things that he's spoken to our hearts through the stories that we get to read about, this time of worship where we can praise God, is that God in his plan and in his purpose for your life is preparing you today for what he has in store for you tomorrow. Father, we thank you, God, for your perfect plan. 
that you have a good plan, that you have good purpose. I pray, Lord, that if, well, we all struggle, Lord. We struggle with what others think of us. We struggle with being content with what we have. And we even want not only with the things that people think about us or say about us, we struggle with that defining us, but we struggle, Lord, with what we have. We struggle with allowing for those things to define us or what we don't have. And Father, we really do this morning want to again lay our, 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 ourselves down at Your feet and go, Your will be done. And to be um, at peace, God, with who You've created us to be. And to allow You to find us by doing Your will, by um, living our lives in a way that You call us to. And forsaking this world, Lord, and not clinging to it not getting more of it for ourselves in any way, but allowing for you, God, to provide what is needed. So, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would do this work in our hearts, that we would trust in you, that we would not lean on our own understanding. And, Father, that we would go from this place filled with the joy and knowledge that you love us and that you have good things for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.